Meanwhile, the disciples were in trouble far away from land. Now, Jesus had sent them to go to the other side of the lake. They were in trouble far away from land, for a strong wind had arisen, and they were fighting heavy waves. About 3 o'clock in the morning, Jesus came toward them, walking on the water. When the disciples saw him walking on the water, they were terrified. In their fear, they cried out, It's a ghost! But Jesus spoke to them at once. Don't be afraid, he said. Take courage. I am here. So no matter what storm you're facing, don't be afraid. Have courage. You have his presence. Then Peter called to him, Lord, if it's really you, tell me to come to you walking on the water. Yes, come, Jesus said. So Peter went over the side of the boat and walked on the water toward Jesus. And when he saw the strong wind and the waves, he was terrified and began to sink. Save me, Lord, he shouted. Jesus immediately reached out and grabbed him. You have so little faith, Jesus said. Why did you doubt me? When they climbed back into the boat, the wind stopped. Then the disciples worshipped him. You really are the son of God, they exclaimed. Yeah. Well, Father, thank you for transformational truth. May the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart be pleasing in your sight, O Lord, my strength and my redeemer. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 Please be seated. Paul wrote to the church at Corinth, I'm saying this for your benefit, not to place restrictions on you, I want you to do whatever will help you serve the Lord best with as few distractions as possible. Say, serve the Lord with as few distractions as possible. Say it again. Serve the Lord with as few distractions as possible. You see, Peter was successful until he was distracted in the middle of a miracle. So many are standing on the brink of a miracle, an answer to prayer. The only thing that can prevent Jesus from getting to you because you're in the middle of a storm and a crisis and the miracle is about to happen. But when the enemy gets in the middle of it and distracts you, takes you off mission. We live in a day of two cups, spiritual peril and spiritual potential. We hear about the signs of the times. The cup of judgment is being poured out. But be reminded of the times of the signs of the cup of blessing that also was being poured out. Paul wrote to the church, and he said this, But know this, that in the last days perilous times will come. For men will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, boasters, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents, unthankful, unholy, unloving, unforgiving, Slanderers, sounds like the presidential race, without self-control, brutal, despisers of good, traitors, headstrong, haughty, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having a form of godliness but denying its power, and from such people turn away. Wow. So we know that judgment has begun. That's very much our day. We are there. That's not the future. That's today. But this is also today. This is the prophecy of the cup of blessing. Shall come to pass afterward, 
After what? The latter days that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. Your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. Your old men shall dream dreams and your young men shall see visions. So we're living in a day of judgment. We're also living in a day of blessing. When God is about to do something miraculous and incredible in your life, usually it's preceded by a storm, a storm of adversity, a storm of negativism, a storm of setbacks. Peter was facing a storm. And often we see God doing great things in our lives, and in the middle of them, suddenly we hear the thunderclaps of discouragement. We see the flash of fear. A season of storms seem to break out. And we get terrorized by fear of disaster. And the word of the Lord today, if you're in a storm, keep walking. Peter, stop walking. Peter, stop looking at Jesus. Keep walking. Jesus will appear to you on the top of that storm. And don't quit. Don't give up. Keep walking. You're on a collision course with a miracle. So Paul told the church, let's not get tired of doing what is good. At just the right time, we will reap a harvest of blessing if we don't give up. Unless we quit, the ultimate harvest that God has promised you is assured. And he's working his plan. And he's working his will. And understand, above the sea foam of your storm, the master is on his way. Your job is not to be distracted by things around you that are faith killers and cause you to collapse in fear and in torment because the enemy is a master of distraction. He will use events, circumstances, people to distract you, to get your eyes off of Jesus. When Luke was recording how Jesus sent out his disciples to evangelize a community, this is part of what he recorded. He sent them ahead in pairs to all the towns and places that he, Jesus, planned to visit. He sent his disciples two by two ahead of him to establish his kingdom. Simple followers of Christ, without fanfare, they entered into a community. They were the promissory note to the community. If they arrived, someone greater was coming behind them, namely Jesus. Wherever Jesus sent them, it meant he was coming behind them. And that's the principle of the story I just read to you. Jesus sent them out into the boat. Jesus asked them to cross the lake. He's on his way, folks. He's going to show up. Wherever Jesus sent them, he was coming behind them. Whenever Jesus sends you, it means he will arrive there also. If he places you in a situation, it means he's going to show up shortly. Sometimes it feels like we've been sent out there and we're all by ourselves. But he never sends us somewhere, but what he's just behind us. He's there backing you up. And if he sent you, he is on his way. He will show up. It's assured. It's inevitable. You're in the middle of a miracle. Don't allow yourself to become distracted. Job penned these words. He alone spreads out the heavens and treads on the waves of the sea. Think about it. The God of the Old Testament is manifested as the God in the New Testament, namely Jesus, God in the flesh, walks and treads on the waves of the sea. Think about that. And Peter, no doubt, had a revelation in that moment. This is the God I read about 
in the first book written in Holy Scripture, the book of Job. It's the oldest book in history. And the God who treads on the sea is now manifested in human flesh, walking on the sea in the middle of a storm. He's the fulfillment. The same God has given us an invitation to walk on water with him. But the story shifted from a monumental victory to a rescue mission. The shift of Peter from walking on the stormy waters to beginning to sink. It was all because of one thing. The word says Peter took his eyes off of Jesus. He began to notice the waves. And he began to feel the wind on his body. And as he noticed that, he lost that miraculous moment because he became distracted. So let me bring it home. Many of you are experiencing miraculous events unfolding in your life. You're sensing that God is about to bless you and pour on you the cup of his blessing. You see, it might be the next prayer meeting when just enough prayers have entered the cup of the Lord before his throne and the cup of blessing tips over and the blessings of God bring spiritual reformation and renewal and a great awakening to his church and to the United States of America. But let me warn you, when the storms arise, it's the goal of the adversary to get your eyes off of Jesus. He'll use distractions to stop you from walking in the blessings of the Lord. Because Peter was distracted, the miracle dissipated, and he began to sink. If you're going to have a lasting miracle, securing your victory, you have to keep your eyes on Jesus And you have to keep walking. Peter got distracted. Not by demons, not by devils, not by an attack out of hell itself. The adversary will use natural things to distract you. The wind. Satan is designed for containment, for limitation, for restraining you, from restricting you. His distraction will often use natural things. It will be rare that Satan himself will attack you, come against you one-on-one with you by some ethereal method in order to take you out. What he does best, he gets behind a storm and he uses something natural in your life. What holds us back from fully experiencing our miracle, seeing the impossible manifest, Satan uses natural things. The wind is one of nature's greatest forces. What usually hinders us from achieving God's desired miracle is not a face-to-face encounter with Satan. It's a natural distraction that he sent in your direction. More expense than income equal unpaid bills. Running at full speed, the busy stuff that just encompasses us in life, the cares of this life, Jesus specifically warned about them near the time of his return being overwhelmed by the cares of this life. The unexpected bill, the surprise flat tire, the plumbing leak, the appliance breaks down. We have to be alert that we don't allow these natural things to distract us from spiritual things. And it's easy to allow natural things to distract us from the spiritual. The moment we get our eyes off of the word, which in reality 
is Jesus Christ, Word made flesh. When we get our eyes shifted to the natural things, we lose spiritual power. The wind is what the adversary used to distract Peter. What has hindered you from doing what you've been called to do? The natural thing. The everyday things. Even good things. In Luke 14, Jesus is teaching a parable about how he views his church and how he wants us to gather with him and bring them all into his kingdom. And he says it this way, a certain man gave a great supper. Jesus is teaching, gave a great supper and invited many and sent his servant at supper time to say to those who were invited, come, for all things are now ready. I've got everything prepared. Come on. But one that purchased real estate, and that became the excuse whereby he couldn't attend. I've got a deal I've got to go take care of. Another purchased five yoke of oxen. He couldn't come and eat at the table of the master because he had to go train his oxen to plow the fields. Another got married, and his excuse was, I'm distracted by my new relationship. Listen to me. The adversary of involvement at the table of the master is not a devil. It's not evil. It was business. It was materialism. It was human relationships, none of them innately evil. Listen, but they took priority over Jesus Christ. What we need to understand, it can be the natural things that prevent us from doing the impossible and the unusual because we don't have our eyes on Jesus. We're distracted by the natural, the material, and the business around us. I have to go do this. No, I have to be here. Make Jesus your focus, and you'll be amazed at how he'll enable you to take care of all the other natural things, everything else being taken care of. Business entanglements. Some people have more attachments than a Dyson vacuum cleaner. Some of you got more hang-ups than hangers in the closet. You've got no time to do the will of God because you're distracted by this, distracted by the other. God is an afterthought. He, he, he's just a compartment where you keep him until the next Sunday morning. Satan doesn't need to send a demon. He sent you a smartphone. Huh? How many of you could relate to that kid? in that video intro. We're so wrapped up, tied up, tangled up in stuff, things that are natural, things that begin to rob us of spiritual matters. Don't lose your miracle because you got distracted. Get into the Word. Make sure you begin your day in God's Word. You want to start the day right? Get in the Word. You want to start the day right? Spend time before Him in His presence. Keep your eyes on Jesus because the enemy will be sure to send distractions in your direction. He always will. Jesus will return for a bride that is alive to him, that loves him passionately, that are faithful to him. We are to remain faithful in our love to the Lord. Remain in love with Jesus. Remain filled with the fire of his presence. Remain connected to the body of Christ. Don't be distracted especially in these last days. And yeah, you're grateful for the invitation the master has given you, but you're distracted. Church has become secondary to you. 
business has become more important to you than anything else in your life. Sports now has taken precedence. Sleeping in, time with family, all of themselves, good, not evil inherently. I'm for all those things. But there's nothing that can hold your relationships together like making Jesus the focus of your home, the focus of your business, the focus of your life. Don't become distracted. The wise man wrote it like this. He who observes the wind will not sow, and he who regards the clouds will not reap. In other words, there will never be a perfect situation. You'll have to make up your mind every single day, I will not be distracted by this that's stepping into the middle of my line of sight. Because I allow it, the wind will take me off of my message and off of my goal. Because if I allow it, the clouds will talk me out of my focus. But if I know God has told me to do something, I'm not to look to the left and I'm not to look to the right. I'm to keep my eyes on Jesus and do what he called me to do. So somebody better grab hold of this in this service because it's got your name on it. Your Jesus is stronger and mightier than the storm you're facing. I don't care what you hear nor what you're feeling because those waves represent our emotions. They're up one day. They're down the next day. Listen, this is not a miracle of emotions. This is a miracle of faith. Faith says, I believe what I cannot see because Jesus said, come to me. Therefore, with him... I can do all things, even things thought impossible. So say with me, with God, all things are possible. The only caveat to that is if I won't become distracted. You have to decide. I will not be distracted. There are distractions that derail people from following the destiny that God has had for their lives. The wind of economic decline has derailed a lot of people. Well, if you do that, oh my God, you'll be broke. If you venture in that area, you'll end up homeless. You'll be eating cat food. You'll lose everything. Not if you have a word from the Lord. Not if you're being led by the Spirit. Not if you know you're doing what God has asked you to do. It's easier to listen to the winds. It's easier to watch the clouds like a, and then like a groundhog crawl back into your cave. Winds and clouds will talk you out of what God wants you to do. Don't listen to the winds of distraction. Stay focused on Jesus. Paul refused to allow himself to become distracted. He said, I'm determined not to know anything among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. Then he said, this one thing I do, I've got everything else to decide. This is what's important. I told the Wednesday night crowd, you need four folders in life. Some of you have actual material ones. Some of them have them in your phone. But you need four folders in life. One, folder number one. This is what God wants from me. Two, this is what people that love me expect me to do. Three, this is what I need to do for myself. Four, this is what everybody else expects of me. And the folder that you've got too much stuff in is number four. And the one you need to put 
Philip is number one. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. Hell can't stop you, but distractions can. So this story outlines this lesson very clearly for us. Devils were not preventing Peter from doing the unusual. They were not stopping him from the miracle unfolding before the eyes of all the disciples. God wants to give Calvary Christian Center unusual success, unusual victories, unusual miracles, unusual blessings. He wants to do special things among the church. It wasn't devils that stopped Peter. It was natural distractions. Look at the culture around us. We're watching the deterioration all around us of our culture and its foundations. We see the cup of judgment beginning to tip and be poured out. We can be easily distracted by focusing over in that direction instead of on the cup of blessing that God's about to tilt on us. There are still Americans who believe in the founding father's principles. Amen? There are still Americans who remain faithful to God and remain faithful to their spouses and to their children. There are Americans who believe God's word no matter what the Supreme Court has declared. Don't become distracted. Don't think Jesus is not in control and that he's going to let his church down. No, he is large and in charge and the gates of hell will not prevail against the church. So I'm not going to be distracted by a president, by presidential contenders, by houses of Congress, by a court system, all of them will also bow their knee to my Lord and Savior Jesus. And all will pass away, but his word shall never pass away. I had a cousin who had a fairly large farm. And on it was a good-sized pond. And when we'd stay there into the evening, you could hear the frogs croaking around the pond in the summer. They may start making a racket at nighttime. And there was a man like that who had his own country farm and a pond in the middle of it. And every night the frogs would croak really loudly. And it got to annoying him at night, so the, fire, the farmer hired a professional frog assassin. <laughs> And his job was to find the frogs and stick them and kill them. So they keep us awake. I mean, they wake us up in the middle of the night croaking. There have to be hundreds of them out there. And it's going to take you a week to get rid of them. So I want you to go out there every day and find them and kill them. But the next morning, the frog assassin knocked on the door of the farmhouse and said, job's done, taken care of. What do you mean all taken care of? Were there not hundreds? He said, no. There were just two. He said, well, how can that be? So the assassin said, when you get two frogs that like croaking, they sound like hundreds. Okay? And that's the problem we're having in America right now. The minority is croaking. The majority, we the people, if we would just stand united, if we would realize we don't have to allow our nation to go to hell, God has placed us here. We are the salt of the earth. We are the light of the world. Don't be distracted by a few. Don't be distracted. How many times do you fail to do what God called you to do because of a few noisy frogs? Distracted. 
I was pastoring my first church ever. I had been a youth pastor while I was attending seminary and uh, was waiting for the military to open the opportunity for service. So I took my first lead position in Chicago. And I didn't know this because, thank God, I didn't know it because if some things you knew beforehand, you probably wouldn't have been excited to go do them. This church had stagnated. This church had endured a huge fracture. It was a city thing, and that's a big city. And when it got into the court system, it was really ugly, and it was a blight on Christianity. I had no, no clue. But when I got there, there were some stubborn pastor killers just waiting for another opportunity to start a problem. And I was the target. Yay, isn't that cool? Yeah, because there was already blood in the water. And let me tell you what, once they start tasting blood, they never stop. I was there literally about 30 to 45 days, and three of the demons, I mean deacons, were in my office (laughs) after a Sunday morning service. Yeah. Yeah. So I walked in, and they said, we have something we want to say to you. And I said, before you say what you're going to say, how'd you get in here? Well, you have keys to your office. Oh, really? I said, please put them on my desk. If I want you in here, I'll invite you in here. You don't have a key to my office. On my desk. I said, now, what is it I can help you with? They said, Well, Pastor, and these were very influential people. They were wealthy. They all owned businesses. One of them owned a city block in Chicago where they had their family business. That's a big investment in the city like that. And uh, he said to me, Here's the deal, Pastor. We love your preaching. You preach, and we'll run the church. I said, what Bible are you reading? He said, that's not in this one that I have here on my desk. What version are you reading? You talk about a distraction for a young pastor. Oh, my goodness. These were influencers. These were people with money. I'll tell you something that I probably have not said publicly. I've said to people privately at times, and now I'm going to tell you. So you get to hear it. It was the rest of the deal. You just let us run the church. And above your salary, above your benefits, you anything you need, the three of us will take care of it. Need a car? Need tires? Need a new suit? Your wife needs a new dress? Just tell us. We'll take care of it on the side for you. Just let us run the church. If that's not corruption at the highest levels, oh my goodness, what a distraction. But you know what? I had been raised in the body of Christ, and I'd been raised with great values by my family, and there's no way you're going to buy me, ever. You're not buying me. And here's what I knew what was going to happen at the end of this meeting. Either they're going to run the church or they're going to leave the church because if they can't run it, they won't be there. Now, they had businesses to run. This is not their business. I'm called to this business full-time. They're called to their business full-time. I'm not trying to manage their business during the week. Stop trying to manage the one God gave me. 
So I was devastated because I know we're going to have a problem. And yet I knew we were on the brink of something phenomenal happening here because there was a great move of the Holy Spirit just beginning in the body of Christ. But here came the enemy with a huge distraction and a storm. And I mean, it was a storm because these people didn't roll over easily. Listen, I knew this distraction was going to derail everything that needed to go forward. But the frogs started croaking. Yeah, they always do. But I stood on the principles of God's word, weathered the storm, kept walking, and God filled the house with more believers than they'd ever seen in that building coming to know Jesus. Those distracting frogs, listen, they will try to talk you out of God's plan. They will try to talk you out of his purpose. They don't want you to do the unusual. Just stick with things the way we've always had them. Here's the reality. It's unusual to have 100% approval for what God wants to do in the church. It's very unusual. There will always be someone who wants to have his or her way. I'm going to get up and I'm going to object. Someone who complains, doesn't see what God has asked you to do. God wasn't speaking to them when he spoke to his leader about the direction for the body of Christ. God spoke to David about Goliath. Nobody else in the family or on the battlefield understood it. His older brother called him a spoiled brat. Who do you think you are? King Saul said, no way. But David was not distracted. All it takes, however, two frogs. I don't like the music. I don't like the lights. And I don't like all this stuff that's fancy now. I can't help it. I have to be focused on reaching a generation reaching the children, reaching the students and the children's children in our lineage. And I cannot be distracted. If God is for us, who can be against us? And I've battled distractions since the first day I entered ministry. And any pastor who dares to follow God will also battle distractions. Every time I proposed something new, there was always a frog croaking. Be a lamb not a frog. Some of you need to write that down somewhere. (laughs) Be a lamb, not a frog. In the word, Haman was a powerful man. He was second to the king of Persia, which was the most powerful empire in the world of its day. And Haman was second to the king. The king's servants all bowed to this man, Haman, and said to him, you're a mighty man. Except one, Mordecai. And all the king's servants who were within the king's gate bowed and paid homage to Haman, for so the king had commanded concerning him. But Mordecai would not bow or pay homage. Because it says in Esther 2, there was a certain Jew whose name was Mordecai. I like certain people. People who are not double-minded who go one way when they're with this group of people and another way when they're with the other group of people, who go one way where they're with the saints and one way where they're with the culture. People will say, well, I'm certain of one thing. There is a God, Haman, and it's not you, okay? You're not God, so I won't bow to you. I bow to the Lord and the Lord only. So no matter whatever the rest of the people do, say, a certain Jew... Instead of Haman seeing the 99.9% of the other people 
who were doing exactly what he hoped they would do. He saw the one distraction, and it aggravated him, and it annoyed him, and it distracted him, and it got so under his skin that Haman was filled with wrath. People are for you, but all you see is the one. You obsess over the one who doesn't like you. Well, here's something free of charge. Some things, if you don't feed them, they'll starve to death, right? The best thing you can do for the croaker, ignore them. Don't feed them. You have to rise above distractions or they derail you. So why didn't Haman forget about Mordecai? Everybody else was for him, distracted. And the word says that in order to kill off Mordecai, he devised a plan to kill off all the Jews to annihilate the Jewish race. He scorned the idea of killing only Mordecai. Instead, Haman looked for a way to destroy all Mordecai's people to eliminate the Jewish race. There are so many good things happening in your life, but you let one issue. Some have a great marriage, but that one little thing just eats at you. You're being distracted from an unusual and beautiful and powerful relationship with God and from, with your spouse and with the rest of your family. But little things of no consequence get in the middle of your spirit and start pulling you off message. The king agreed to let Haman kill all the Jews. But the night before the extermination of the Jews, coincidentally, the king could not sleep. The night the king... That night, the king could not sleep. And neither is your king not sleeping during your long night. Your king will not fall asleep. He never slumbers or sleeps. You might be in a storm. Your king is not sleeping. So the king asked someone to read the history records of what was happening in the kingdom. Well, bring me up to speed. I haven't heard anything in a while. Kind of give me a little understanding. Go get the books and read me the story that you've recorded. In that day, they had no Kindles. They had no computers. They couldn't call something up. And he, he couldn't sleep. So he figured, well, maybe when they read this boring stuff, I'll just doze off, right? So his attendants began reading to the sleepless king. And he hears something he had not known. And it startles him. It was read to him that Mordecai had stopped a terrorist plot to assassinate him. And the plot now was foiled and ended because Mordecai had intervened. So the king jumped up out of bed and he said, did we do something for Mordecai for saving my life? I never knew this happened. Did we honor him? Did we reward him? And they said, no, we didn't do anything for him. He said, that man saved my life. Who is this guy? It was wrong not to reward him for what he did. And this is what is done for the man the king delights to honor. So the king got up and said, we're going to honor this guy. Just then the second man, Haman, another coincidence, is outside the court waiting to see the king. He's the one who wants to kill Mordecai. And Haman was thinking, I'm going to get now my permission, all signed by the king, and also my promotion. I'm going to kill Mordecai, all of his family, all the Jews are dead. Now 100% of everyone's going to do what I want. So Haman has his audience with the king. And the king, before Haman can make his request, says to Haman, what would you do for somebody that I would want to honor? And Haman thinks, well, the king is speaking to me, of course. 
someone you'd want to honor? Well, here's what I'd do. I'd put the king's attire on him. I'd let him ride on the king's horse. I'd let him ride through the streets of the community and the city with people all around him cheering him with a crown on his head and someone running out in front of him and the horse yelling, Behold, a man in whom the king delights and honors. That's what I would do, my king. And the king said, That's a great idea. Go do that for Mordecai. Yeah. Didn't end well for Haman, by the way. Because the gallows he built to hang Mordecai on were the very ones he ended up dying on within a few hours. The king would love to delight and honor you. We're in times when the king of kings wants to delight and honor you. He wants to bless you and promote you. The hours come when God wants to delight in his church. Everything Lucifer has ever wanted for himself, the church possesses. What Haman and Lucifer wanted, Jesus has bestowed on the body of Christ. Lucifer said, I will ascend into heaven. No, you won't, because that's what we're going to go do. In 1 Thessalonians, says the trumpet is going to sound. We'll be caught up to meet the Lord in heaven. We, we have everything Lucifer ever said he wanted. Lucifer said, I will exalt my throne above the stars of God. No, you won't. We will be ruling and reigning with Christ. That's the promise. Lucifer said, I will be like the Most High. No, you won't, church. Now we are the sons of God. When we see him, we shall be like him. Not Lucifer, the church. We've been given God's delight and God's honor, seated in heavenly places, wearing his righteousness, clothed in his glory. Remember, Jesus is returning soon for that bride. And he said, I've got the supper ready. Huh? I want you to come. Don't be distracted by relationships. Don't be distracted by everything else you put your life into. A misstep in marrying somebody God has not ordained for you will derail you, distract you, and you may miss all the blessing God has promised for you. Like Peter, you may sink rather than succeed. You have incredible potential ahead of you. You can be so distracted, you mess your whole life up. You start getting distracted early in life, and before you know it, the enemy's taking you off mission, off purpose, off message. And you'll find yourself waking up someday going, how did I ever get here? Keep your focus on Jesus. Keep walking forward. Keep looking unto him, the one who ran this race ahead of us, the author, the beginning, the, the finisher, the ending, the one who began our faith, will complete our faith and cause the mission to be successful, serving the Lord without being distracted. When you get in a storm, and that's how usually the distraction begins, you begin to get afraid. Doubt and fear begins to rise. You keep looking to Jesus because he has not given us fear, but power and love. Strong. 
Look to Jesus. Don't miss it. Amen? Let's stand together. Lift our hands. Praise God. Love him. Honor him. Bless him. Thank you, Father. You're so good.